Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. His name is Fernando Amaral, the VP of Marketing at Landbot. Fernando, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for inviting me. Nice to see you again. Uh, and I, I hope that we'll have uh, an interesting conversation today. Absolutely. We had the opportunity to partner um, on one of your previous experiences at, uh, at Babel. And uh, it's great to partner with you again now at uh, Landbot. So that's our second experience together. But for, for the ones who don't know you, uh, who is Fernando? So I'm a computer science engineer that uh, turned marketing professional because while I was studying, the, the internet was in its infancy. So I, I discovered the internet and fell in love with it. And I started um, doing SEO before Google was born. I started doing social media before Facebook existed. And I basically learned digital marketing as the dis discipline um, was created and evolved. So I learned by doing, uh, and, and I started uh, basically creating my own job around that for maybe 10 to 12 uh, years. Uh, and then as, as the things matured, and of course, the internet took over the world and the business world, um, I started working more with, with companies uh, in more in an agency model. And in the most recent uh, years, like uh, five to six years, uh, I joined the venture-backed startup world. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, that has been my, my journey in the past, in the past years and uh, you know, the hyper growth uh, startup world. That's that's really amazing, and uh, I, I like to say that nowadays we are kind of considered the dinosaurs because the ecosystem, especially in Europe, is is quite young, and when we have kind of five, six, or even seven, nine, ten years of experience in the in the sector, we are really the dinosaurs of, of the of the industry. So it's it's good to see that we are quite young, but still very uh, senior in in the space. So what what are some of the companies that you had the opportunity to represent and uh, what is the company that you are uh, serving today? So today I am at Landbot uh, and uh, I'm uh, finishing my first month um, at Landbot and uh, it's a, a no-code uh, chatbot builder startup with a lot of potential for marketing automation uh, and um, so with a very easy to use but very powerful builder and I've used the other ones, the, the, all the famous uh, chatbot builder interfaces. And I honestly never had so much fun as building with Landbot. And before that, uh, for the past year, I've been at Tonicap, which is B2, let's say, B2 doctors. Uh, so not, not in the B2B SaaS, uh, not for every consumer as well, but for the medical community, an app for the medical community. Um, that uh, was born in Portugal and expanded to Spain, to Italy, and it's basically taking over Europe. Um, and that's where I, where I spent the, the past year. Um, also, this is important for you, I guess, uh, Series E startup, both Landbox and, and Tonicap before. And before that is where we worked together at Unbevel. I spent four years and I went, I went in with 24 people um, 
Series A was about to be closed. And then I went through the Series A, B and C and the explosive growth from 24 to more than 200 people uh, from having like signing marketing as a job title when I joined to, to building a team uh, and becoming director of marketing and having several sub teams uh, inside it. So that was a, an amazing journey and, and learning experience and is what I'm trying now to, to reproduce, but uh, taking all the learnings that I have to do it better, do it, do it faster, more efficiently and, and enjoying it more, the, the crazy ride as well with all the learning that I, that I had from, from that experience. Um, so th those were the, the last ones and the, the most relevant for, for our discussion. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is in, sometimes, we that we are used to see all those rounds in the in the media and we forget how difficult it is to go through those stages and even if you consider for instance uh Ababa was was based in in portugal but also with offices in in the us san francisco new york etc um, there are very few companies who have the success of Ababa in the ecosystem so we kind of can have uh, the, the, the fingers of a, a hand or two to count them. So it, it shows the outliers and how difficult it is to, to get there. And, and sometimes even how, how difficult it is to get to 1 million and to go from 1 million ARR to 5 million ARR, the, typically the Series B, and from 5 to 10 million ARR, which is typically the Series C. And then from 10 to 20, 20 to 50, and 50 to 100, and, and potentially an acquisition or a IPO. And I like always to share the, the, the numbers. And if I'm not sharing for a long time in the show, I, I would repeat it uh, to, to also show how difficult the journeys that you have been already serving, the companies that you have been serving, and how difficult it is to, to get there. So only 4% gets to 1 million in revenues only 0.4% to 10 million. So I will repeat, only 4% of all companies get to 1 million in revenues, only 0.4%, which means 10% of the ones that get to one get to 10 and less than 10% of the ones who get to 10 get to 100 million. So which shows that we are trying to do something that is 0.04% of potential of probabilities of, of achieving in under a decade, that, that's typically the, the VC Beckett's uh, game. So that's why I like to say, welcome to the Champions League of business or welcome to the Olympic games of business, right? So if you have the, the not the luck, the, but also a little bit of luck of being in several of those companies who get to A, B, C, and to 20, 50 million RR, it's quite special. So anyone that is serving any of those companies, you need to feel special because you are really playing the, the Champions League of business. But don't don't taking too much time off of our guest today, Fernand. You are you are the star today. And uh, we always cover on the show three critical ingredients to scale. Number one, radical focus. Number two, world-class leadership. And number three, the execution operating system. So Starting with the number one, uh, radical focus. This is something, a discussion that I always have with every single CEO and every single leadership team that I work with. And it always depends a bit also on the stage if they are in problem solution fit, uh, product market fit, go to market fit. But typically I work after product market fit with those companies and uh, deciding what is the niche that we are attacking next. And uh, it, it's really complicated. So. Uh, 
helping them to define what is the geo, what is the industry, what is the size that we want to prioritize as, as, the, as the niches that we want to serve to, to conquer the total addressable markets that can be big, but we can't go to all the market at the same time. We need to prioritize. This is usually a very difficult uh, discussion. So how has been your experience serving those VC-backed companies? So my experience with, uh, <coughs> with Focus is that it's always something that, uh, in theory, everyone likes, everyone agrees, we need to focus. Exactly. And, and when we are a startup, uh, so we don't have uh, many resources, so focus is very important. We have limited resources, we have limited time to achieve the objectives, we have a limited runway. So I don't think anyone would argue that focus is extremely important until the moment where you need to put it in practice, which means you need to say no to a lot of stuff. Uh, and then it becomes hard to actually do it. So, and I've seen this in uh, multiple cases and, and different examples. So one example is the OKRs that uh, most startups use a similar model, some kind of their own version of the OKRs model. And um, the advice for, for a startup at this stage is that at the company, company level, you should have at most two OKRs. Uh, that means that you. this is for the quarter, right? So if you're trying to achieve a high level for the company, more than two big objectives for the quarter, it's already too many things. And I've seen this advice in theory. Um, I never seen it being applied in practice. <laughs> so, and, and even me, I would say two would be very hard because you need to build so much stuff. You're building a company from scratch. You need to do so much stuff. How are you going to only focus in two? But so I would say, let's do at least three. In the end, I usually see like five or six, and that's clearly too much. But it's very hard to say no to all those things that, that seem so important and so urgent at the same time. How do you focus and say no to that? So in terms of, of uh, ICP and the customers that we're going after, it's similar. Maybe maybe it's, it's easier than in other areas to focus. Um, so... Why, why is it important to, to get this ideal customer profile and focus our efforts on that? Again, our, we have limited efforts, both in, in marketing, uh, creating content, in, in marketing spend, in the, um, the attention of, of the team. We need to become experts in the, the field of our customers. So we clearly need to focus. And this you can do in sequence. So you, you can say, let's do this vertical this quarter and another vertical the next quarter, but you cannot do everything at the same time, that, that is completely impossible. But then you also have the product, uh, the customer will ask for, for more features for their own use case. And so the product will have to be developed for this ideal customer. The sales team no, needs to know how to sell to them and the support team needs to support them. So everything will be around this. So if you if you have a hundred customers and they, they are in a hundred different industries, it will be a nightmare to, to give the attention that you need to all of them. Uh, but if they are all in the same two industries, it, it will be much more efficient from the acquisition to the sales, to the support, everything, and to the product development. Mm -hmm. So if you can find that focus and you can see in this uh, industry for this use case, our customers are very happy. So they are not uh, raising a lot of problems. They're not saying that the product is not good enough. They are actually very happy. Uh, doesn't mean we want to stop there. Maybe in a year, we want to be able to go to other verticals and the product will be there. But right now, these customers are happy 
and they can give references, they can be used as quotes, they can be used as logos to show to, to the others in the industry. We can learn a lot from them, how to communicate with this industry. So everything will be in the same direction and helping our efforts to acquire more of that type of customer. And, to, and, and as you dominate in this niche, you become the number one player there, everything becomes easier for you. So it, it will uh, help in, a, in every activity. It doesn't mean that your market then is just that niche you can go okay. after. And I suggest only not focusing only on one because then if it fails, you're not really sure why it failed. So usually what we do is we go after three, let's say three verticals at a time. Yeah. Um, and we see the traction, if it's working or not. If, if one of them is failing, clearly it was the wrong vertical. It was, it was not any other problem. If they're all failing, maybe there's a, a bigger structure uh, problem. Right. And then you can double down or go to the next one. So in every quarter, maybe every two quarters, you need to give it some time. But every two quarters, maybe you revisit and say, okay, let's keep these two. This third one is not really working out. Let's replace with a, another one. Uh, as, as you grow, as the team gets bigger and the company gets bigger, maybe you can broaden a little bit more. Um, and of course, you're still going to get customers outside of these verticals because you still get inbound and you get found and the word spreads. And when you do uh, your marketing activities, you have a target, but you always hit around that target as well. So it's not like you're not, uh, not getting other customers aside from that, but it's very useful to, to have that clear focus. Right. Um, I've listened to uh, one of the companies that I had the opportunity to work with kind of have a lab, uh, which is kind of the other. So there are three that are really the targets, but there is a kind of a, a fourth vertical that is kind of a lab where we do all the experimentation. So they don't get into the main verticals until there is some kind of lean startup approach to understand if there is some potential of them becoming one of the main or core uh, verticals. Yeah, that happened at Unbevel as well. So there was um, a labs team that had inside the potential to do product development um, so they could create these uh, better products. And they had the business development as well. So they would go and find customers without interfering with the main sales and marketing activities. So they would validate the idea is let's build a prototype, let's find three customers, let, and when these customers are happy and willing to pay, then we know that we have a product that can be integrated in the main line and then go in the normal pipeline. Yes, and the, and the vertical is something that really allows focus and reduces complexity. And we need to think that apart from the vertical, we still need needs to work on, on the size and on the geography. And if we start counting the number of combinations of those three variables, for instance, working in a specific vertical enterprise, mid-size or small business uh, in, a, in a geography one, two or three. This will create a huge complexity in, in terms of the different ICPs that we'll need to attack, which will create a complexity that will be very difficult to understand anything about what is working or not working. This mess that I've, I've seen this happen <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> Yes, so we also we also focus on that. So on these different criteria besides besides the vertical, the size uh, maybe it's the first one. Uh, then there's uh, there's also the geography, typically U.S. versus Europe uh, versus exactly. Latin America, Asia and Pacific, and 
when the on the size, I think the main challenge, the geography is pretty clear, right? But the size, when we use terms like small, medium business, mid market, and enterprise, uh, sometimes it's not clear how do we define that. If it's not uh, written the definition, then people just use these terms and in each each person's head might be something different. What does it mean, mid market, for example? So. I think it's important to have uh, at each company a clear definition of what are we calling mid-market, what are we calling enterprise. Even in the same company, I've seen it change over time. As the company goes up market, the, the definition moves uh, with the target of the company. And the definition shouldn't move. Our target can move, but the definition should be the same. Um, so I think it's important to use the typically number of employees and revenue as the criteria for the size uh, of the company. If you use just one of them, you have a lot of outliers that you still want to target, but uh, actually it's a, a huge company in revenue, but very lean with a, a lot less employees, but it's still your target. So it's usually a combination, a combination of those. And yes, it is very different to understand the sales cycle and the messaging, the, the positioning for these different types of companies as well. So not only the vertical, but the needs uh, of uh, a small and medium business, a mid-market and an enterprise business are different. The type of channels to, to reach them and the type of, of sales motion that you need to have are different. Also from the product side, the, the type of, uh, of features that you need to develop to support these, these companies. So typically startups uh, start smaller and then they go up market as they become more robust uh, and exactly. more capable to go there. They see how attractive it is to go uh, to bigger deals, right? Uh, some are very successful still just increasing the volume uh, and staying with, uh, with smaller customers. But yeah, that's definitely something that you also need to know what's your focus because you're, you need to focus on serving those customers and they have different needs. So you should be... Uh, how are you saying the radical focus, right? So yeah. radically focus on that <laughs> so that you re you really s serve the, those customers, acquire and serve those customers the best way possible. And that will have a medium long-term impact that can also make or break the startup, which is the retention of those customers. Because mm -hmm. it, it's very nice to hit your acquisition targets, but we're talking about uh, SaaS business. Uh, and then if you don't retain them, your whole model breaks apart. So that focus on going after a piece of the pie at a time, I think is very important to make sure that the business is successful. Absolutely. And definitely churn can create, can be a huge monster as we yeah. increase the, the revenue line of, of the company or if it is a negative churn or a, a positive net revenue retention, uh, it can help us with with the growth that we need, uh, and that's also a much healthier um, company to to have the current customer base helping us to grow the company, um, instead of seeing the, the current customer base shrinking, which shows that something might be wrong with what yes. we are doing. And when when you share like ninety nine point something percent of the startups fail. Uh, well, that that's that's how uh, that's how you fail, right? Uh, even if you are acquiring <laughs> customers, uh, if they are churning, if they're not growing, they're shrinking, and if they're churning, the model becomes impossible to to grow, right? When you have that dragging you down, it just does not work. 
Absolutely. So don't forget the always the the retention engine and the acquisition engine of that revenue machine that we need to build from 1 million to, to 10 million and that we need to keep rebuilding as we go from one threshold to another threshold of growth. And when we face those typical growth ceilings or growth plateaus, where it seems that the company is not able to move to the next level. It seems the wall that is super strong and that everyone starts fighting with each other. And that's when it is really, really important, the second point, right? The world-class uh, leadership bids, which is to assure that we have the right people on the right seats for each stage of growth and that we make them a team because there is the potential that with such a huge amount of pressure, again, the Olympic Games of business, a team that is trying to double or triple the business every single year to become relevant in the game uh, of, of the VC game of the Olympic Games of business, uh, it creates a, a huge tension and uh, the temptation of starting figure pointing across the team. So it is marketing problem. It is a product problem. It is it is sales problem. It is it is a CS or customer uh, problem. And and instead of coming all together, understanding what is wrong with the machine and how can we improve the machine to, to double or triple the business. So what, what has been your experience about the importance of assuring that we have the right people on the right seats and that we make them a team? So that's uh, probably the, the main thing from, from this past uh, six years in this type of companies um, that I, I really love doing was the team part. So learning how to to build a team in this kind of environment um, to teams that are created from scratch and sometimes with very different profiles, very entrepreneurial profiles, uh, founders that uh, never done anything like this before with some veterans that have done this multiple times before with just some people just out, out of college that uh, is the ones that you could <laughs> hire at that moment and turning all of this into a team and to a high-performing team to play exactly. in the Champions League. I mean, if you do the analogy to sports, that's like a, the dream. Imagine a, a team of people that you you just get together and start playing and then you, you end up in the Champions League final. Uh, I mean, that, yeah. that would be an incredible story. And that's what, what people are doing in, in startups, right? Uh, and, and then you, you hire a couple of star players or maybe you hire an amazing coach and then you, you just take uh, this, this this team to to the Champions League. It's, a, it's amazing. So that is something that has been giving me the most pleasure um, in, in, this, uh, in these past years, seeing the people develop and, and transforming this, the group of people into a team. And at two levels, so there's at the, at the leadership level, and, and that's probably the most critical one for the, the success of the business, and, and maybe also the biggest challenge to have this alignment, because you have these different departments, maybe some big egos, uh, and, and you need to make them work as a team, which ultimately is, is what the business is. And then you have your own team, in my case, the marketing team, uh, which is also very, very exciting to, to recruit and to build and to coach um, a, a high-performing, like world-class marketing team uh, has been very fun in doing that multiple times. So it's definitely uh, what makes or, or break uh, any organization and a growing one. So, and if you had, like, if you had like a stable one, like the same 40 people for a couple of years, but no, like every six months, uh, it looks like it, it doubles in size. So exactly. incredi incredibly, incredibly challenging. And I think the right people has a lot to do 
with a lot of soft skills, right? Uh, to be able to, to handle this pressure, to, to manage at the leadership level and everyone uh, in the company in the right way to lead by example, it's incredibly challenging. So I think for the leadership team and for the founders uh, and for the CEO, getting the right people uh, is like their, their main job and, and the most important task. And, and also getting rid of the wrong people very quickly because everyone will make some mistakes. Um, everyone uh, talks a lot about culture as well in startups, yeah. right? And I think um, a great way to think about culture is that um, what, what will define uh, your culture is the things that you allow to happen. Yeah. Uh, so where uh, you are tolerable with people until until where? Where do you draw the line? And and you need to draw some lines like this this is not acceptable. And if this is clear, people know, okay, we, we have seen. Uh, if it seems like everything is possible, everything is acceptable, everything is tol tolerable, you, you will run into, into problems. Right? right. So sometimes and hopefully very few times, you need to make it very clear like this, this is not our culture. This is not uh, acceptable. Uh, and people will people will see that and people will notice that. And I think that will start to shape what your culture is. Love it. That's that's really a great point. Uh, and it kind of brings the the final ingredients, the execution operating system. Um, which we can connect with, you know, managing and leading a team in a in a remote environment nowadays and in a hybrid environment in, in a lot of cases. And, and I know that you also put a lot of importance on creating the processes and, and the systems. So what, what are some of your takeaways and lessons learned across having a kind of an execution machine uh, prepared? So I, I had a bit of a, an eye opener this week and the last, because I went to Barcelona, the headquarters of Landbot, uh, mm -hmm. to spend the, the last week. And that has been uh, my first experience working a week in an office for more than one year. Uh, so I find, I think of myself as someone that really understands the remote model and, um, and the hybrid model, because I worked for myself for, for many years and, and I did it working from, from home. Uh, I'm very comfortable with having a, a home office. Um, so one, well, once COVID hit and everyone started learning about remote and seeing all the good things about it, I already knew also the bad things about it, about not being able to go to the office and to meet the team and to see other people, to disconnect your personal life from your professional life. Right. And so like in the first six months, everyone was saying, this is amazing. I want to work remote forever. And now we're starting to see uh, the other side. Some people are saying, I want to go to an office. I cannot work from home anymore. This, this is very confusing uh, and I need to separate right. things. So some people, and in, in the end, I think the most common is we're landing in hybrid mode is best. So there's times when I want to focus work from home, I don't want to commute and that's amazing, but there needs to be also some times uh, where I can be in a different environment, meet with a team uh, and build those connections. So I think we'll end up in, a, in an hybrid model. <laughs> and I really felt the difference because by force I had been in a full remote model and Last week, some people at, in my uh, team at Landbot that have been there for a year, they had never gone to the office before and they took this opportunity and everyone went. 
and everyone was so happy to to meet not just <laughs> me that joined a month ago but colleagues that have been working for a year and they never met in person uh, and they are Incredible. both in Spain but not in the same city and everyone wants to go back so ev- at the end of the week everyone was saying when is the next time when do you come <laughs> back because I also want to come back when are we going to do this again um, and uh, for the leadership team, it was it was also amazing. So uh, I went, uh, and Raúl also went from Lisbon. Is uh, VP is a new VP of Sales. So we both good. went from Lisbon to meet the founders in Barcelona, and and the five of us uh, spent the week together. And clearly, there's a before spending a week together and after spending a week together, both for the leadership team and for for my own team and for Raúl and the sales team, it felt the same. So I I love working remotely. I think it creates uh, it helps to create a lot of process because you have to document a lot more. Uh, you have to be more disciplined, uh, and, and that that is helpful for focus time. For me, it's much much better being uh, remote. I start getting tired after some hours in the office. I cannot do focus work and too many distractions. So I love that. But for the team, it's it's. I think it's also, if possible, some companies are just full remote. They're spread all over the world and that's yeah. fine. But there are advantages to being able to, to be with your team in person. And I saw that very and felt that very clearly uh, this past week. In theory, I knew it, but I, we everyone felt it very strongly. And so... In two months, I will be going back to spend uh, another week, and I, I will try to keep that uh, that kind of uh, of rhythm uh, with my team. Absolutely, I think that the remote environment also helps with uh, the application of the rhythm. So having those weeklies, monthly, a lot of teams are also having dailies uh, nowadays. So it helps the alignment and the consistency of the communication. Right? Sometimes it can also um, create some friction or people start being tired to be in, in so many meetings that that's the other uh, side of the coin right um, but anyway i think that i'm with you it it helps to create a little bit more structure and to allow the times that we are together to be much more uh, team building oriented brainstorming oriented and and more to connect on a personal level and on a team level than on the business side because we are already covering it on on, on the with the virtual or remote uh, model yeah and the and the trust so as you know the yeah. there's some models about how to how to uh, build a healthy team and like trust is at the basis and and the yeah. amount of trust that you gain just after just having lunch with someone versus having zoom calls uh it's, it's, it's incredible so much yeah. different so <laughs> absolutely yes there is a great book on that uh, i think that you are mentioning that one for for the listeners the five dysfunctions of a team uh, by patrick Nacioni. it's really really recommended and this is the first uh, principle and i will let you uh, read <laughs> or search Google uh, what are the, the others uh, to build a high-performing team. And we come to, to the last question of the show, uh, Fernando, if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee uh, with your younger Fernando when he was kind of starting his first adventure in the VC Beckett company, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Okay, so uh, I, I think it's... Um, all this going back in time and giving advice is hard because you need to leave some experiences um, 
to learn some things. And I mean, if everyone was taking advice from older, more experienced people, uh, how amazing <laughs> that would be. But it just doesn't work like that. You just need to live through it and learn at the cost of your own mistakes. Uh, and I, I think I think not just about uh, what I would say to myself, because in reality, that is not going to happen. But I think about uh, uh, my daughter, for example. And it's a bit frustrating that I know that whatever I tell her, she will just have to do most of the mistakes herself <laughs> and learn for herself. So with that in mind, if I went back uh, and had a chat with myself, um, when I started this uh, startup uh, crazy ride, I think one thing where I where I could improve, um, that I could learn from was about managing up. Um, so that, that's one, one topic. And as I grew and I started having bigger teams, of course, I, I worried a lot about uh, how to manage my direct reports and how to manage my teams. And I think that uh, the skill, uh, as you become more senior and start to report to more senior people and eventually end up reporting to the CEO, one of the most important skills that you can have is how to manage upward. So that will have the biggest impact in the performance of your whole team. Uh, if you are not aligned and if you cannot manage the expectations and, and your own work uh, with, your, with your manager, you cannot really help your team to achieve their objectives as well. So I, I would tell my younger self, study all that you can and, and get advice and mentorship from, from more experienced people about how to manage up and focus really in understanding the needs of your manager and how to work that relationship, how to, how to basically bring solutions instead of problems, uh, how to bring requests instead of complaints. Um, and that will, that will help you a lot to, to move faster in the direction that, that you want to go. And another advice that I will probably give to myself because I, I'm practicing right now, and this is a time where I, where I get to pitch, uh, is so find a, a channel. And this is, has also been, has always been something that I did. Like I love content, I love marketing, and I love, I love creating and publishing stuff, but it's very hard to be consistent. So right now I'm doing it in blog format. Yes, after all these years, blogs are still alive. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to publish every week uh, on my blog on fernandamaral.org and I'm making an effort uh, sending by email and publishing every week and, and now I think I found the routine and the type of topics and the type of audience that works for me and I I've started recently maybe two three months ago but I already see most of the conversations that start with me they reference something that I wrote in my blog uh, so the colleagues at Planbot, when I joined, even during the interview, uh, when I get to meet someone from outside the company, uh, sometimes just a salesperson trying to pitch to me, but other times just genuine relationships. And they say, by the way, that article that you wrote or that thing you said, uh, it comes up usually in the conversation. And this is with like maybe seven or eight articles published. Imagine when it's 50 or, or 100. I think it, it, uh, it allows you to, to share a lot about yourself, to build this personal brand uh, and to open a lot of doors and a lot of conversations and, and, and allows people to get to know you. So it allows you to meet the right people because if they like what they see there, uh, I mean, I'm authentic uh, in what I write. So if they like what they see there, they know that, that they like me and they want to talk to me. They understand what they can expect from me. Uh, and in terms of company culture, in terms of my views on marketing, on business. So I would say to my younger self, 
really make an effort to, to stick to this and start before, because now instead of eight articles published, maybe I would have 80. Uh, so uh, I, I would uh, make an effort there. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And that, that's really, really good, good points. I, I like to say that, especially on the one that you're talking about managing up, um, a world-class VP in my perspective, are the ones who are able to be the CEO if they want to. So, but they prefer to be specialists in a specific domain and to add value to the team in that domain. But I, but th that's really that. So in, in that sense, they need to be able to speak fluently with, with the CEO, fluently with the peers and be able to put themselves on the shoes of the peers and of the ones who are reporting uh, to them so it's really managing laterally managing down managing up so it managing 360 yeah. and <laughs> so that that's really a, a great one and it seems super easy but it's as you said it's it's uh, it requires a lot of practice and uh, to to get to to that level fernand it was really a pleasure to have you on the show congrats for the amazing track record and amazing experience and we we wish uh, huge success with with Ledbot. Thank you so much, Mike, and looking forward to continue to work with you. Likewise. And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We, as you see, we keep bringing the best of the best. This is Fernando Moral, the VP of Marketing at Landbot. See you soon and keep scaling. 